0: Welcome to the Rosenfeld Review. This is Lou Rosenfeld, your host. And today I am joined by Daryl Adams, the Director of Accessibility at Intel. Hi, Daryl. How are you? Hey,
1: Lou. Thank you so much for having me today. Pleasure to be here.
0: It's great to have you join. Um, We're going to be talking about the issue of accessibility, uh, especially at conferences, which lately I feel like I've got coming out of my ears. So I'm certainly interested in it. Uh, I know many of you are, Uh, whether you speak there, you put on uh, conferences, uh, you're conference producers, you're doing internal conferences, Uh, you know, in in the days of Zoom, we were all at least in the the virtual conference business one way or another. So I thought it would be great to have Daryl on. Uh, Daryl leads a team at Intel that works at the intersection of technology and human experience, helping discover new ways for people with disabilities to work, interact and thrive. Um, Darryl, tell me a little bit more um, tell a little bit about your mission and and your passion here and how it connects to what Intel's about and uh, and and your your background here.
1: Sure thing. So accessibility at intel is there's a number of facets. One is the importance of making sure that that, that Intel is a great place to work. For employees with disabilities so we continue to try to drive an inclusive environment but really getting down to an, ex- an accessible environment for everyone it's always a long road and that's something that we are you know, that we're working toward um but then i think the really kind of key aspect in my mind around what accessibility really means for intel is the future possibility of creating a future of technology that is fully inclusive and accessible for everyone. Really thinking from the, from the beginning about how we create new computing architectures, new technologies that everyone can use. So that's really what drives me specifically. Um, and that really comes from a, a personal space for me where um, I have uh, retinitis pigmentosa, so I'm legally blind, and losing my eyesight from the outside in. And I'm also deaf in my right ear, and so these challenges have um, really kind of shaped my perspective on working uh, with a disability, interacting with technology, how that can be a barrier, as well as how it can be of tremendous benefit. But it's always needing to be we need to be deliberate in the way that we design technology in order to make it a benefit and not a barrier.
0: So actually, I want to ask a little bit uh, before we get into the the conference side of things about that work at Intel. Now, I always think, like a lot of people, maybe wrongly, that Intel is primarily a technology company. Um, I also think of a lot of accessibility is less about the design of the technology and more about the application of the, te- the technology and how it's combined with, with design, really. Um, how much of what you do at Intel... Uh, is about impacting the way that the technology itself is created versus how it's applied so
1: intel has a long history over 50 years of innovating computing or, and actually creating computer architecture so really the like the think of it as like the foundation of where we of how we design so today if you're designing software you're designing software that within some constraints around a two d screen, you're expecting an input from a keyboard and or a mouse, and you're building, you're innovating, and you're designing around that paradigm. And that that computing architecture that 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 is the foundation of that experience is a is a culmination of a lot of the work that Intel does under the hood and the work that we do obviously with across the industry as well with partnering with computer manufacturers, operating system vendors, that that type of thing. So my thinking here is that when we think about true accessibility and true user experience, user interaction with technology, it's, I think, smart to to start thinking about what do we do beyond that that standard computer interface that we have today? Mm We have to think about this also along the lines of if you if we look over time, today we are just a, a, a single plot point on a graph. But if you if you see that graph out, say 10, 15, 20 years from now, computing power will be exponentially, um, will, will increase exponentially. And the types of the the capabilities that will bring to us. I think it, it stands to reason that we should be thinking beyond sitting in front of computers and typing and that type of thing for basically our primary mode of interaction. And I feel that um, this is where we can come and think about new computing architecture and how, it's, uh, how we can evolve to take advantage of all the new capabilities that we
0: see before us. Well, and, and you're reminding me that Intel's in this position to create a, a computing architectures and also obviously influence many, many other players in the industry. So uh, I imagine there's a, a great almost a amplification effect you can have by uh, being right there at Intel thinking and talking about this issue. So it, it feels a little um, like we just moved from grandiose to now I'm going to, going to take us to the very sort of nitty gritty of, uh, being a person with disabilities who speaks at conferences. And I know you have a lot of thoughts on this. Uh, I'm certainly interested as a conference organizer to know what can be done to make it more welcoming, more inclusive for people to speak at uh, at conferences.
1: Yeah, I think, so the conference context is is broad. Mm. Really appreciate the question of, how how do we make conference experience for speakers more accessible Uh, i think we've been having the conversation about how do we do accessible conferences for the audience for a while now and it's it's important to, to consider the speakers as well and i would say that you know it all starts at the beginning so to me accessibility as we we always are thinking about accessibility as being present from the very beginning, from the first conversations. And so when you're planning a conference, it's not plan the conference and then figure out what we need to do with accessibility. It's plan the accessible conference from the start mm-hmm. From the audience perspective that goes from that, that starts at the website and the, 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 um, approach that you take for registration, ensuring that's, that's fully accessible. And then on the, the speaker side is ensuring. That you know, that you're open to uh, or giving the speakers the opportunity to describe what they need in terms of uh, an environment to to be able to effectively engage. And so if we're talking about a physical space, and so we're we're at an in-person conference, it's important to be able to, um, to to be able to provide access to the space. And understand what technologies may or may not need to be used to support the speaker. Um, generally, I think that's true for probably most speakers, but it's also really important because uh, there's the devil is in the details on the nuance that somebody who is um, speaking with maybe with a with a disability. In my case, I can describe in the example of visual impairment makes me makes it very difficult for me to track. Uh, anything visual in terms of like a, like I can't read a teleprompter for example, and having to rely on visual cues is challenging at best. And so if I am, if I set my, my uh, speaking engagement up where I am um, expecting a very specific non-subtle vis- visual cue and I don't get it, then that's a, that, that becomes a problem. So, Having that ability to really go through the motions prior to the actual event is important, and I think that also applies to the digital context as well.
0: So, getting to know the technology basically that's at your your fingertips—you uh, uh, know, what visual cues uh, you you may be expected to know, and and if those aren't working, how how to replace them with alternatives. Um, do you find? that besides seeing it in advance and, and having that type of orientation, um, you know, different events have a different flavor, voice, tone. Um, is like, is, is there any kind of correlation between, let's say how formal the, the feel of an event is and, um, how much you are expected, for example, to present rather than discuss, does that have any impact or is that really more an issue of personal style uh, regardless of accessibility issues?
1: I would say that, well, so I certainly think it is a, there's a personal style aspect to that. I think, and this is also um, maybe a function of each individual's personal journeys with disability. This level of disability for a long time and have and have learned the tips, tricks, techniques to to manage it and, and be able to um, to speak confidently in that in with, with the tools that they have. Then I think a, a formal approach is is fantastic. Um, in many cases, and I think mine is one of them. Uh, my disability is progressive, so I feel like I'm never really quite an expert in the uh, with the tools that I have, because I'm continuously, continuously needing to learn, and that kind of lends itself to um, probably a more casual style, mm-hmm. uh, more, more conversational. Because of what I like to do, and I think where I'm able to convey my ideas the best is through um, conversation rather than reading slides. And I mean, I couldn't, and I do think that actually, you know, while that is helpful. For the disability context and for accessibility i think it's also probably should be true in
0: general amen i mean you know i think this sort of more we well, could call it casual you could call it interactive uh, maybe human is really ultimately the the way to look at it but um, my gut is that re- removing pressure uh, like following a tightly organized script e.g reading slides is, is probably better for everyone in every context who's speaking. Um, Another question. uh, Do you think a a conference, let's say an in-person conference organizer should today be prepared, not only to do the kind of orientation that you're talking about, again, not just really for, for disabled speakers, but really for all, again, it removes that pressure and, and makes people more comfortable, but support, um, remote speakers, because that is sometimes, uh, I would imagine a real benefit to disabled speakers is the option to speak remotely. Yes.
1: Yeah, I think, um, and that also actually does address one of the more sort of, uh, technical issues around the, um, you know, the transition of speakers. So if you are, if you're on site and maybe, a transition from one speaker to the next and the new speaker is going to use maybe a braille display or they're going to have some integration with an earpiece where they're listening to some audio cues or something like this. That's pretty difficult to do um, or at least it's more time consuming than simply handing a mic to the next person. Um, so those are, those are challenges, but then when we, the ability to, to uh, present remotely is probably the you know it's it's a, it's a great way to allow somebody to feel most comfortable in their environment and also are they they own all of their the technology that they need to, to be successful the one caveat that I would I would note here is that as much as my um my fit my hardware my physical devices are set up to you know, optimally for me I don't have control over the platform that's being used. So the software platform that the that the uh conference is using. And that's a that's something I think is really important to consider is when you're choosing the, the, the platform, is choose something that is going to be accessible for most people or for hopefully for all people, but um because you there not all platforms are created equal and um some are much more difficult to interact with visually than others and that that really kind of puts a that makes it much more challenging um certainly from a visual impairment standpoint
0: yeah i mean our approach is just generally to use platforms that are the most generic uh so conferences uh being produced let's say in zoom familiar Obviously, uh, to many people, uh, speakers, uh, organizers, and and such, but also, my gut is that they're more likely to have had rigorous uh, accessibility studies performed than maybe more of a niche or, or boutique tool.
1: Yeah, and I think so. Thinking about standard um, platforms that get a lot of usage, definitely a good starting point. I, I do think that. Um, there's an additional piece to this that is about how you use them. So Zoom, in particular, you know, it's a, it's a simple platform, so that's always good. Simpler the better, in my opinion. Um, but then you need to know if you're going to go with like an automated captioning, then you let the your audience and your um, speakers understand that because that may be simple and it's better than no captioning. But you're going to definitely, you know, or most likely run into some issues with the the accuracy of those captions. So if somebody's relying on captioning, um, that's something to note, Uh, especially in thinking about the speaker. So generally you're thinking about captioning for audience uh, purposes. But if you have a speaker who is hearing impaired and is trying to follow a conversation, say on a panel, for example, Mm -hmm. they're also then going to be needing to be able to see those captions and maybe be relying on their, their accuracy. So that's an important Thing to consider, um, and additionally, you know, for for if you, say, if you have a, a deaf speaker who is going to be using ASL interpretation, um, making sure that you have that uh, that flow uh, well integrated in Zoom, ensuring that you're pinning the interpreter correctly, and that everybody has a great connection. Because if you think about, you know, generally an audience or a speaker might have a little bit of tolerance for a poor connection for video, um, as long as the audio is clear. But when you're doing ASL, you really need to have a clear video connection in order to avoid issues with, um, you
0: know, with,
1: with breaking up the, the flow of the conversation.
0: Yeah. I, I As an organizer, uh, uh, if you have any type of distributed uh, actors, let's say, you know, someone doing ASL here, a speaker there, uh, I get really nervous about things like lagginess and and what that could do to the whole flow, not only for the speakers, but for the audience as well. Um, one last question for, from a speaker's perspective, is there any appeal in particular to, um, doing, uh, sessions that are pre-recorded so we see certainly in the virtual conference space, a lot of conference producers have their speakers record, they play the recording, it's obviously it's a very controllable type of thing, and then maybe they have their speakers uh, join for a Q&A, uh, we've resisted that, we like the live feel, it just feels more human, feels more normal. Uh, has a, a a bit of spontaneity, but I can see the benefit is there an a, would you say there's a strong accessibility benefit for going with recorded talks?
1: I would say that there could be I, I but I also would I think I would more agree with you in that the the, the, the feel of a live conversation is preferable um, in that it is a more human. The experience for everybody involved, and there is you know the, the downside of that obviously is that you if you're live then you're, you're unable to edit and redo, um, but that's also maybe the the reason why the live is is so much more compelling. Um, but I, I I think that it's well, certainly I guess I would encourage people to when given the op- opportunity to to do something live versus recorded to choose the live option. Um, but I do see that mainly where that might come into play also is uh, when it, with, with somebody that it, with, with speakers who are maybe new to the mm-hmm. to the public and are a little bit uh, you know nervous about having only one take and. I can see where that could come in play. and but I don't know in terms of disability or accessibility in general that whether or not that's a, a key issue. It doesn't feel to me like um like it should sway one way or the other
0: well the the takeaway I have from this discussion about accessibility for for speakers is i'll I'll take um I'll take a page out of the accessibility book uh, web for everyone that we published by uh, Sarah Horton and Whitney Quisenberry, which is um uh, you know, it's really an accessibility first thing. If if we think about accessibility from the get go, as you're saying, not as a, a overlay later, but from uh, the speaker experience from the get go, it's a better experience for all speakers. Uh, with that, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about accessibility for disabled audiences. We're going to try to take a crack both at virtual and in person, and maybe maybe even in uh, the hybrid experience. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Lou, and I wanna put in a plug for a very special experience that Rosenfeld Media is uh, putting on. It's the Design at Scale 2022 conference. It's taking place June 8th through 10th, and it will be 100% virtual. Why are we doing this conference? Well, first of all, it's the latest edition of a conference that's taken a lot of different shapes uh, over the last seven or so years. It was the Enterprise UX Conference for a while, then it was Enterprise Experience. and the last couple of years, Design at Scale. Uh, this year in particular, we are looking back at the last couple of fun years we've all been having, uh, taking the lessons, looking at some of the challenges, pulling together and distilling what we've learned and using what those lessons are to help map a a path forward. So look at this conference in a way, if you work in a large organization as a designer or researcher, what have you, as an opportunity to reflect and then pivot and take what we are covering in these three days and arm yourself to move forward. That's what Design at Scale is gonna be about. Uh, if you want to know the themes, the first one, we have a whole day on this is design practices in times of crisis. The second day is all dedicated to design processes for a new normal. And the third day, the third theme is design people caring for individuals and teams. If this sounds up your alley, come to the website designitscale.co check out the program. I think you'll be impressed and again, We do virtual really well. I think you'll enjoy the experience. I hope we'll see you June 8th through 10th at Design at Scale 2022. Welcome back to the Rosenfeld Review. Lou Rosenfeld with my guest, Daryl Adams, uh, Director of Accessibility at Intel. And we've been talking about accessible conference design Uh, Primarily from uh, the perspective of how uh, this can be considered improved, tweaked, and tuned for disabled speakers. We're going to move on now to the audience uh, and what we can do by considering accessibility principles and and design from the get-go rather than uh, applying it post-facto and hoping we do well. Well, let's start then, Daryl, with in-person conferences. I think, you know, most of us are pretty familiar with that experience, even if we haven't had the opportunity to enjoy it for a couple of years now. Um, Are there any, um, like, the big items on the checklist for an organizer to consider for uh, a disabled in-person audience member?
1: Yes. So I would say that... uh First and foremost, the, the details matter. And so every bit of the, the conference goers experience should be, should be looked at closely to understand where accessibility may be a factor or may need to be a factor. Uh, for example, arriving at a, at a conference venue for the first time, what is the expectation for your for your um, for your audience? You know, the, the first step is typically that you're going to go to a registration desk. So does that registration desk support or and will will they be able to support uh, people across the spectrum of disability? So if somebody is blind, if somebody is deaf, if somebody is approaching in a wheelchair, do they understand how to how to assist those people appropriately? so there's a there's a need a general need to right, you know, right from the registration desk to be able to engage and support people where they are as they need it um so there's a bit of i think underlying that is you 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 have to educate the the that frontline staff appropriately right from the start because i think getting that initial engagement is is huge if i go to a conference and i recognize that People are there, they understand where I'm coming from as far as just being visually impaired and having a bit of a difficult time, maybe making my way around. That's, that's a really big difference because otherwise the, the feeling is I'm lost in a sea of people and I'm you know, maybe I'm fairly anxious about this because I, I don't know where I'm going, not sure who to ask, that type of thing. So having that type of support system right at the front is a, is a great start.
0: Um, just along those lines, it, it makes me think of people um, who are like fully vision impaired. I, I almost wonder if navigating a new space, like a, a conference space, like you know, look for these doors, you know, go you know, go to the you'll, you can get to the registration desk, uh, it'll be to the left and et cetera, et cetera. Is there any kind of audio mapping? um uh, that conferences or, or in other contexts maybe uh you've seen work um almost like having uh an audio version of 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 where to go how to orient how to navigate the space sure yeah interestingly
1: we we, we are doing some work uh, at intel with a company called good maps which does indoor wayfinding indoor mapping primarily for people who are blind or visually impaired. And so this is you know, fairly new technology that allows somebody to use their mobile device, very similar to how you would use the GPS in your car. Mm-hmm. So you can you can plug in your your destination, and it will give you step by step directions for how to get there, and then also provide points of interest along the way if necessary or if if wanted. This is new in that, and it requires the the, the venue to be scanned initially. And then, in order to uh, enable that t- that service, but which I think it's really promising because I because I think that it kind of addresses that key element of um, of the unknown. It removes mm-hmm. some really significant variables, and I think that's maybe the name of the game here is to how do you remove as many variables as possible for your guests? Um, make it very clear. So, in one sense, the 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 indoor wayfinding or navigation system is fantastic um, coupling that with the ability to or you know, maybe having a kiosk that is just a, like a concierge type of thing that where somebody can get full or get gain assistance that that they need depending you know regardless of
0: what specific systems, assistance that might be
1: um
0: and, you know, so, uh, yeah, uh, that sort of sense of, like, the idea of audio signage, uh, I love that the technology is is coming for that, and it actually, technically, it doesn't sound like it would be necessarily the, the hardest thing, just a really good application of existing uh, uh, technologies. Um, but, you know, you're talking about at the very get-go, at the registration desk, I, I wonder if it goes back even further, uh, like, signaling on a conference website, uh, that's often the first place. Or uh, for an in-person conference, venue selection from the get-go is, is, is really challenging. So just as an example, we're based in New York City. We do a lot of our events in New York City. It's a vertical city. Uh, it's not as accessible in terms of public transportation as we would like it to be. But then the, the venues themselves are often on multiple floors, uh, may not be a whole lot of elevator capacity, um, those are considerations as well, I imagine.
1: Absolutely. And I think the more that, you know, so elevators should be sufficient, but if there's limited capacity, then that is an issue. But that would be something absolutely to, to be considering. And I think that you know, but to your point about the like this pre-conference experience, there's a lot we can do to attract people with disabilities. But I think if you think about the, the Let's say if you are deaf, you're likely not going to a conference that you are. If you're not sure whether or not there will be sign language interpretation available, or maybe that it's limited, because you pretty quickly think that it's probably not worth the money and the time to do that because I'm not going to be able to hear the message. So if we turn that around and we and we start advertising more broadly about how we are supporting various disabilities so we, we, we state very clearly that we're going to have every all sessions signed and as, as well as captioned as well as um, support for uh, wheelchair access and um, blind and visually impaired services we state those explicitly and describe how we expect to support that now we can start actually. Engaging people with disabilities more and getting more, you know, having them more likely to show up at our events, it's kind of a chicken and egg problem. Uh, today, I think a lot of events look at their audiences and say, "Well, we don't have a lot of people with disabilities that we need to make all these accommodations." And the reason for that is because the the event isn't isn't and hasn't historically been accessible to begin with. So we need to get ahead of that and start really communicating and advertising to that disability community and then supporting them. And probably also importantly is there's, nobody does this perfectly. And so as long as we're deliberate about wanting to do this well, and then learning from each experience, like learning what didn't go well and and addressing it and applying the, 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 so, you know, creating new solutions for new events and just growing over time, that's the key.
0: What about at uh, virtual events? Do you see that being a, a, a very different challenge uh, for an organizer uh, considering uh, attendees with disabilities? I mean, you could argue that it's like a, a huge win from the get-go in terms of just opening up uh content and and event experiences to a much broader audience many of whom can't travel for whatever reason
1: so a virtual event is going to bring far more people far more diversity into the into the conference into the event um it does and i think it also eliminates a lot of the, the obviously those those physical challenges you don't have to worry about the elevator capacity but you do it introduces new challenges and things, th- these challenges I think are actually more subtle, but have probably significant impact to the audience. And an example would be that if you are uh, a blind user that uses a screen reader, and you're watching a session in the session, if you have the chat enabled, then what's happening is that you're being, you're, you're listening to that chat the entire time the session is going. So if you have something that's that's creating a lot of engagement, in the session on the on the chat then you are having to divide your attention between the speaker and the chat that's coming through your headphones as well and that can be quite distracting um and so that's something that's hard to balance but it, 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 i think giving it appropriate consideration to understand how best to to manage that is something to be thinking about um and there's there's some I think there's a few other scenarios there where uh, we have to be mindful of how we expect our audience to engage, not only with the speakers but with each other. Uh, You know, and this is difficult because it's across. It's sort of depending on your your own context and your personality type and how you how you uh, retain information. You may what, what works well for somebody will not work. Well, at all for someone else mm-hmm. and it's a matter of just being i think at the end of the day we need to be mindful that we're we're, we're a collection of, of unique people with unique needs and we want to listen and, and and respond appropriately but it's really important to understand where people are coming from and what they need and try to address it as it become more apparent
0: hey that's really interesting i mean i'm i'm thinking about what you're saying and and specifically in the virtual conference setting that the amount uh like, uh, like our uh, discussion goes on concurrent with the presentations in Slack. We have really high levels of audience engagement in Slack. Uh, and someone who's blind would obviously have a problem with that in terms of distraction. Um, but it, what it makes me think of is just like on, on certain trains, there's the quiet car, uh, you know, keep your phones off, keep your conversation low. It's almost like you want to have the quiet channel. Yes. Uh, and, and maybe that's not just for people who are blind. It's just that to many types of people for various reasons who might benefit from that. So just yet another example of um, how what, thinking, uh, being thoughtful about design for people with different uh, disabilities is, it opens up all kinds of possibilities for everyone. Um, I want to make sure we touch on hybrid, um, which is like the, the great mystery for many of us where a lot of people I know are thinking about it. Very few of us have, have, uh, gone more than dipping a toe in. Uh, it's a bit scary because it's an interesting design challenge to make a single experience work for two fairly, uh, disparate audiences and to bring them together when appropriate and when possible. Um, So um, we're doing our first one. It'll be the Design Up Summit in September. Uh, Been a lot of interesting, fun work designing for that, but we haven't, it's good timing. I'm glad I'm talking to you now because we haven't really thought too much about accessibility in that particular context. I wondered if you've encountered people who are thinking about this and have maybe already had some experience.
1: Yeah, I I do think that this hybrid model is going to be the most challenging uh, shift that we've seen since the pandemic began. Um, The the challenge is going to be more, uh, it it is a technology challenge, and so I, I think it is completely solvable, but we're going to probably make a lot of mistakes along the way. There, I think it's really important to not, underestimate the complexity and the challenges around audio in a hybrid model. Um, if you have a room with full of people, or to say a room with people around a table, and then you have a number of remote participants, the audio in the room is always more difficult to hear when you're when you're on the line, on the, when you're the remote participant. And so we need to think of ways that, that help resolve that. And the idea would be, as an example, that each of the in-room participants has a mic of some sort and that we're uh, that testing these models in advance to understand where, um, you know, how best to optimize everybody's individual contribution. It's really, really distracting listening to a room that is echoing and people are talking over each other and some people are loud and some people are, are soft and that's in the best case. And if you have a hearing impairment of any sort, you're probably getting, getting no value from that mm-hmm. experience. And alternatively, when you are in the room, uh, it's we have to make sure that we have a model, an engagement model, visually to help remind people that there are participants that are not sitting next to them. Um, and so you know we can do this today with video technology, but there's a lot of I think this is another area where the, the nuance and the details matter. We, we need to come up with really seamless models that we to display remote participants um, when that's appropriate to ensure that they're not being left behind and that they're being engaged and not uh, they're not an afterthought if that's the type of really uh, conversation that's happening and we need to really just continue to maximize and optimize the audio in particular the audio in the room
0: excellent points and and just to to maybe step back and summarize don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good keep experimenting and uh and you've made a really important point about being thoughtful from the very beginning uh and this is you know a really important point in design in general is is that thoughtfulness for all important audiences, yeah. You know, again, from the start rather than after the fact. Um, we're going to have to wrap up, which is a bummer because I know we've already gone a little longer than we thought, but there's just so much we could talk about here. Maybe we'll have to have a part two at one point. Um, but Daryl, I wanted to ask you in uh, Rosenfeld review tradition if there's uh, anyone or anything that you've been learning from uh lately that you want to shine a bit of light on for our audience sure
1: thing yeah so we, we have a, a book that we typically recommend to intel folks when they're um, just starting their accessibility journey or needing to learn and understand more about disability the book is called demystifying disability and it's by emily Ladau. and it's, I really I can't say enough good about it. It, it is a book that is simple to read or, or listen to. In my case, it gives you the vocabulary and the tools that you that you need to have in order to to have respectful, um, engaging conversations with people with disabilities. Uh, it, just, it just really kind of opens the door to the whole community and gives a really nice kind of overview and understanding of the, the you know, a lot of the differences and the complexities that. That we have to navigate so um not a lot of time to invest in that book uh as far as far as it's you know it's a a fairly short read but you'll guaranteed to gain some um some valuable insights from it
0: well short reads are the best reads demystifying disability by emily Ladow. and daryl thank you so much great discussion again i wish we had a little bit more time Uh, We've been talking with Daryl Adams, Intel's Director of Accessibility. Thanks so much for joining us on the Rosenfeld Review.
1: Thank you again, Lou. It was a great pleasure to be here.
0: Thanks for listening to the Rosenfeld Review, brought to you by Rosenfeld Media. If you like our show, please subscribe and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast platform. I'd love it if you tell a friend to have a listen, and check out our website for over 100 podcasts with other interesting people. You'll find them all at RosenfeldReview.com.